0: Hey, what's going on? This is The Doug Show, and I'm Doug Cunnington. In this episode, I'm interviewing Lauren Hunter. This is gonna be a pretty cool episode. She sold a website for over six figures in 2021. It's a site that she started from scratch and grew it and worked on it over the years. And I, I believe the revenue was somewhere between 10 and 15K per month profit at least uh, for the last little stretch before she sold it. And the cool part is she's coming at this from kind of a different angle. She's an English major and had more of a writing background than entrepreneurship, but she's found herself in this cool position where she's kind of an entrepreneur now. So Lauren, how's it going?
1: Yeah. Hey, Doug. Thanks so much for having me on your show. I'm a huge fan. Been dialed into your Your everything you do for a few years now. And so I appreciate that. Thanks so much for, man, being there to educate us and challenge us. It's really awesome.
0: Well, thank you. I'm excited to chat with you and hear your story. So I I want to jump into some of the results first and then we'll back into your story a little bit. So you, you sold the site and I'm, I'm curious if you can share any more details about how much you sold it. Um, mm-hmm. you could tell us uh, what broker you used if you did use one and, uh, a couple of the other details around it. And I'll ask a couple others as we go. So yeah, what can you share about actually selling yeah. the site?
1: Sure thing. Um, so I, um, I struggled a little bit with the valuation info as I was trying to figure out if I was going to go private party, which I um, started out that way and actually got a ton of good advice from um, other publishers. I was going to other like um, print and website publishers in the uh, faith-based industry that I was in, kind of initially looking for a buyer. Um, but as I dug more, I found Flippa. That was the first um, online site I found. Um, and I actually did list it on Flippa, but I was kind of trying to fiddle with that valuation, talk to my business. I have a business um, advisor and financial, he's a fee for service financial planner, so he's helping me out with some strategy on that. And you know, websites are kind of wonky, right? They're um they're not valued at a normal, um, a normal like brick and mortar business. And so I went through that a bit and um, Flippa, when I worked with, you know, and Flippa is, is interesting. I got a lot of looks and a lot of video calls and, um, not a lot of actual, I I think I got three offers through that marketplace, um, which were valid offers, but there were some challenges just in how much time it took and sifting through people that were not verified. Um, so like final selling was roughly two and a half times the monthly, um, Revenue, okay. so that's how kind of the valuation came with Flippa. So, um, and I was I was pretty happy with that um, until um, you know after I'd sold it, and then I see websites that are just bloated in the cost <laughs> what people are trying to get for them, and um, I'm like, good for you guys, like go ask it. I was like, dang it, I think I could have gotten more, but right. um, yeah. You, you 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 don't know what you don't know. So. Right,
0: and you said uh, two and a half times the that's annual earnings, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. so and just yeah. just so a A little bit
1: under three hundred k. A little Go. under three hundred k. Okay. I don't want to give actual specifics just okay. to protect anonymity, but sure. Um, okay. A good job. Yeah.
0: Awesome! Congratulations, and Thank I you. think yeah, people will their mileage will vary like wherever they sell it, depending on timing and a number of other factors. So was this the first website that you sold?
1: This was the first website that I sold. Yes. First, um, hard, hard exit.
0: Very cool. Congratulations. Yeah. Did you have any idea that your site was worth that much? Um, like over the last few years?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, I, um, so what I did, I think, um, I think I'd think i mentioned to you before that I had been thinking about exiting for probably five or six years. Um, it's hard to nail it down exactly when I started thinking about that. But, um, you know, the movie The Princess Bride, mm-hmm. it's like a wonderful classic if you guys haven't seen it, like, go, go rent it. It's probably on one of the streaming networks, (laughs) but it's awesome. So in the movie, um, you know, the dread pirate Roberts, um, is sort of the next guy in line on the ship. And, you know, the main character, you know, he's telling the story of how he became the next dread pirate Roberts. So I got this idea in my hat that I wanted to find the next dread pirate Roberts to take over my site. The site was churchtechtoday.com. And, um, Uh, and so that's what I was kind of had in my brain to look for is like the next person take over. I didn't want to just sell it to an investor. It's a, it's a faith-based kind of niche, very niche industry. And it's real small. Like when you get down to Christian technology for churches, like everybody knows everybody. And so it was kind of important to me to find like the next owner who was going to take care of it the way that I would. So I was probably more emotionally invested in it than your average um, seller.
0: Got it. Very interesting. I know I was chatting with uh, someone recently who she sets up events and conferences and stuff. And she basically was like, "I, I would never sell it like this is like my baby. So I think if she ever did, she would have to. Do exactly what you mentioned and like find the yeah. right person to take it over, to watch over it and maybe has a similar vision or can take it to, you know, a better place than even what you were thinking of. So that makes total sense. Very cool. All right. So let's start talking about your background a little bit and the background of the site. So what were you doing uh, before yeah. you were working on the website, your professional background or any, anything that helps people understand your skill set?
1: Yeah. Yeah, sure thing. Um, I uh, got a degree in English with career writing from uh, San Jose State University. I'm a Northern California girl. And um, I got right into high tech public relations. So at that point, um, this is like uh, late 90s. Um, I, you know, with a writing background, an English degree, you could go into magazine journalism, you could go into publishing of some kind, all of which required you to move physically to a large city. Um, and I wasn't that close to San Francisco, or was close to San Francisco, but I didn't want to work in the city. And so I started looking for um, jobs that would like use all of my communication and writing skills, but in a high tech field or something that would pay really well. Um, and so I did that. I got into that um, first agency and it was really great. And I had to like wrap my mind around all kinds of technology and learn how to decipher what the engineers were saying and turn it into a press release that the media could understand. So I got really good at like hearing the, you know, was Working with CEOs and like lead engineers and people like that to understand their technology. And then, you know, that's what PR people do. They like get it enough to be able to put it in layman's terms um, and communicate that to, you know, PC Magazine and uh, New York Times and all of the big publications. Um, And so I used all of that, um, ended up um, applying and getting a PR manager job at a company called Christianity.com, which was. Uh, it now it's owned by Salem Media, which is a another media company. But I like stepped into um, kind of the faith industry, and that's kind of part of my personal story. Um, and so from then on out, I kind of wanted to combine my faith with my and endure- my endeavors. So. Um, Uh, that company actually hit the dot-com bust. It was 2001. Um, We had lots of finance capital, venture capital. Um, It was like the third or fourth round and they shut the doors. They were like, yep, you're running out of money. Um, We're going to shut down. Um, 9-11 took away a lot of our business objectives um, just because all of the humanitarian aid was going other directions other than like websites and content, um, which that's, that company had, um, It was mainly a domain with content, but then we came up with this whole, like, web network um, uh, premise, I guess, and so I was helping at the very end. It was all hands on deck, so... um, So I've done like the sales and I've done the marketing and the advertising and the writing and the PR. So I had seen like the whole cycle of like how a company works and how, you know, all the facets of all of that. So that really like built the foundation, I would say, for um, being an entrepreneur and then running sites um, like Church Tech Today. So I moved out of the Bay Area, started a family with my husband um, and was a consultant back to um, the same boss I had, but who got picked up by... um, a company that purchased our software, which was at that time a CMS. So super interesting. Like it's been in my life for a long time. Um, and I used that company CMS to build my first website, um, which was super clunky but worked for a while. Um, so I was doing um PR work um as a contractor, like with set retainers our on an hourly rate, um, and working mainly with technology companies. So most of them were like either um, a nonprofit or um a high-tech company in the faith-based industry. Um so church tech today actually like my whole entrance into the website um building and running um came out of like my PR work. And I had a client who um, was like, Hey, you know, you should maybe start your own thing here. At that time, this is now like mid 2000s. A lot of the magazines that us PR people were pitching to write content for, or to write about our clients, they were all dying like flies. Like the media industry was just rocked by the internet. Um, And so when the client of mine came to me and said, Hey, we'll help. We'll set up this WordPress site for you. Um, You go get the domain. They like set up the first iteration, and I was like, cool. So, I had had this desire to be a magazine journalist, got into PR, and here, like, because of WordPress, because of web technology, um, I was able to like step into being my own boss and running my own really online magazine is what a blog is. Um, and so, that was kind of like the first taste. And, you know, I'm sure you talk to other people who are like, addicted to publishing. It's like, now we have KDP, right? I've published two books in the last two years. So it's like, I don't know, it's like a drug or something um, to get to write and publish your own. um, I still pitch freelance articles um, just under my own name, not for clients. And it's so much more work than actually just sitting down and writing what I want to write about and publishing it, which I love.
0: Got it. And that's an awesome story. It's interesting how each layer got you to where you are, which makes sense, but you couldn't have manufactured that path on your own. It just kind of happened. And then it seems obvious when you look back. Very cool. So what year was it when you started the site and you, they installed WordPress for you and you you just got got moving with it?
1: So the site is the same age as my third kid. I have four kids. So Bradley and (laughs) church today we're both born in 2007 (laughs) that's that's the only way us moms can remember it's like uh, was it in between or i had four kids in six and a half years so i was pretty pretty crazy there for a bit
0: (laughs) (laughs) sounds like it that's funny okay so 2007 so that's like like right when wordpress came out if i remember right like it's in that time frame right
1: I so, don't know. Like, I don't know what year I early. could go back and look.
0: Yeah. Someone can Google yeah. it. They'll put it in the comments somewhere. Yeah, okay.
1: totally. Please do.
0: <laughs> so that that was way back. And how, how did you approach it? I mean, you, you did have uh, basically the writing background, like you said, the full picture mm-hmm. of publishing. So how did you approach it back in those days?
1: So, so I really approached it with kind of a sales strategy, if you would. So at that time, I probably had two or three... Um, PR clients that were in that industry. So um, when I started it, I mean, I don't think I knew what do any of us ever know? And we're like accidentally starting a WordPress site. Do we know what we're doing? I'm not sure. Um, I remember going back a few years later and like um, editing some of those old posts and be like, Oh, this is garbage. Like, Oh, you know, cause it was still blogging was like a journal, you know, you were like writing a diary entry. Um, and so um, it was a couple years of like diary entry style posts, um, before I got serious. Cause like I said, I had, I had a kid and then I had another kid in 2009. So somewhere around, um, maybe 2008, 2009, my strategy was to start selling my clients on banner ad space and sponsored posts. So, um, you know, at that time, I don't even know if the ad networks were around. I, I didn't, I didn't know about them. Um, I think most everybody was maybe selling direct advertising for their website. I'm not I'm not really sure. But so for me, it was a natural fit to say, hey, X company, um, you guys are already paying me for PR. Um, I'm starting this new site. It's going to totally focus on church technology. Um, would you like to run a banner? So I made them cheap in the beginning. Um, and I remember looking at like CPM rates and I was charging way, way more. <laughs> than um, than what I should have been getting because the traffic was not that big yet, um, and they were paying it um, because it was like an add-on to my PR work, and it was me. So it's like we cut out the middleman. The middleman was the magazine that we needed to write about, you know, the third-party endorsement um, of X company, and instead we're cutting out the middleman, and I'm writing only about this one industry, pretty much. Software like management software. Um, now there's an acronym to go with it: CHMS. So CMS is content management system, which we all know WordPress is a content management system. But CHMS, the H was supposed to be church, so church management system, and they still use that acronym. Um, so it was really mostly technology for churches was a fancy database. It's like a database for your church membership, and as the years went by. Um, the software went from being um, uh, disk you know CDs that you would put in your computer like the old you know windows that you would get um, to being in the cloud. So I like followed all these companies as they took their desktop products and turned them into cloud-based software. So that whole migration and shift was like, you know people couldn't understand it so i did a lot of explaining a lot of article writing about that very process of like now you don't have to you know and then you have the little blue haired old ladies working at churches like yeah. what do you mean i i have to have the software on my desktop you know what you, think? you know it's just a total shift and now thankfully right we don't have to explain that over and over again we've made it through so <laughs> it's
0: a little bit easier now
1: yeah it's a little bit easier
0: so you were essentially working with your, your old network, right. For the most part, yeah,
1: my clients. Yeah.
0: Okay. And yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Cause you didn't have like, it, there's so many systems that are built out now. So right. back in those days, it's crazy to think, you know, you were I mean, it was an online magazine and you were writing blog posts. Do you happen to remember, I know you won't know it exactly, but what kind of traffic were you getting in the beginning? I know I've heard yeah. if you just had a blog back in the day, like you got traffic because it was novel and people were checking yeah. it out.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure I had a few thousand people probably in those first year or two um, at the end. Um, I mean, during COVID the numbers, the numbers soared um, because when um, churches were, like, banned from having services, it's like everybody everybody that had a church that wasn't already online, like, they were searching the Internet for how to, like, stream their church services. And so um, we saw a huge traffic spike and a huge Amazon affili- uh, associates. Like, boom, it was, like, quadruple the amount of uh, revenue from that. Um, so that was cool. But the numbers were, like, I don't know, 100000 page views, 120,000, maybe like 50,000 users. Um, And that was like at the apex. Um, And then we saw a little bit of a decline. That's also part of the reason why... um, I wanted to sell, like, there's the internal reasons of like, okay, I can't write about church technology for the rest of my life. Like, I can't do it. Um, I've, I've already, you know what it's like when you have a content site and you, you go through every category and, you know, by the time you've had it 14 years, you've changed your categories a bunch of times. You've recategorized, you've rewritten, you've updated, you've done the same post like 12 different ways, 12 different times. So I had done that so much that um, I was like, I can't, I can't. I've got to be able to write about something new. And um, so I felt that internal, but then externally, like um, the stats, I could tell that the, the page views were like kind of topping off. I could also sense that the advertisers, um, typically what some of the advertisers will do, and there's bigger companies now that are owned by like Subsplash and some of the other ones they are like big uh, publicly traded in Australia. And then they start purchasing um, other companies in the same space. So there was this merger M&A business going on with church tech companies. There's an even bigger um, company called Ministry Brands. And they, um, they bought 20 or 25 different small potato mom and pop companies, all of which I had worked with um, on my site. Uh, and they bought them all. So I had a period where I had to like really work hard to get into the right people in that company. And then they would run all the ads. They bought like 80% of my advertising for a couple of years until it stops working because it's the same audience and mostly the same people. And so then they pull their ads. So I could tell like a few relationships were kind of changing and I'm I'm a highly sensitive person, which I'll talk about when I share a new venture. Um, but what that means is I kind of tend to sense when things are shifting when things are changing for me and kind of out there, like what's going on in the industry. And so I could just sense the winds changing and I was like, okay, I think my time here is done. Um,
0: got it. Yeah. Okay. Very. Yeah. Also very interesting, especially like the span of time that you're talking about as well. Here's a quick word from our sponsor, Otis.Global, that's O-D-Y-S, and they are the source for premium age domains with strong branding and powerful backlinks. The featured domain for today is ZevFacts.com. That is Z or Z for some of our international folks. Zev. Zevfacts.com, And it was a domain, an informational domain with facts about zero emission vehicles, which is a growing, exploding industry. This is probably one of those where it's just gonna keep growing for the next many, many years. The domain was created in 2014, so it's eight years old. The domain rating is about 24. The domain authority is about 30, obviously. It's a very brandable name. You can approach this with an informational sort of how-to and question-based keyword approach. I think at this point you will probably never run out of keywords as new questions are popping up all the time new vehicles are popping up all the time. And you actually could create somewhat of a directory about locations to charge your vehicles. Maybe there's uh, certain mechanics that really cater to the zero emission vehicle uh, population. But basically, I think you'll never run out of keywords. And this is just going to be a growing industry. There are a 100 and one unique referring domains. About 55 of those are do follow or so, and they have amazing backlinks. Some of those referring domains are energycentral.com, wired.com, autoblog.com, seekingalpha, digitaltrends.com. It's still indexed in Google. If you join Otis using my link, you can get a hundred dollars into your account and I might earn an affiliate link if you ever buy anything, which I greatly appreciate. So one thing that I want to get into, and you mentioned during COVID and quarantine and churches were trying to figure out how to deal with the technology, the Amazon revenue went up. So you talked about direct ads that you were selling, you have some a- Amazon revenue. Can you break down the percentages yeah. and, and kind of maybe, maybe how it shifted over time? Mm-hmm. So maybe you can give us a snapshot yeah. from the last couple years. And then I know it, there were probably a couple big shifts and pivots along the way.
1: Yeah, yeah. So initially like um after a handful of years don't ask me how many. I'm not sure. Um, I was doing PR work, like hourly PR work, tracking my time. Like any of you have done agency work. You know, it was just my own mini agency. Um, I had a few subcontractors at different times. Um, so I was getting burned out doing that um, and just wanted to focus on Church Tech Today because I knew that if I split my interests, I wouldn't be able to focus 100% and to really grow it to a point where I could sell it. So, so I ended up tapering off and basically shutting down Lauren Hunter Public Relations, which is my PR um, brand. And so um, that was kind of hard because I had a few clients who were like, what do you mean? Like, you're not, you know, and so it was like a few that tapered and I was like, okay, I'm crazy. Why am I turning away good money? But um, I just felt like multiple income streams with one thing would, would be better than like splitting myself down the middle. Um, and it, and it worked, it worked. Um, so I kind of stopped doing the consulting and, um, I just focused on, on church tech today. So then I could put more energy and effort into being more regular. I'm a super like, um, structured, regular, like meat and potatoes, kind of, kind of person. Like I posted twi- I think initially maybe twice a week for like seven years, you know what I mean? And then I went to three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday for like you know, eight years. Um, and then I, you know, you'd have weeks where you, maybe I get sick or a kid would be sick and I wouldn't post one out of three days. And I started like, huh, I should see if this this act, do I need to post three times a week? Could I get away with posting two times a week? And I did. I, I um, trimmed back an article a month um, and it didn't affect the traffic um, because there have been so many years, right? So many years, so many posts um, had a bunch of number one, number two, number three results in Google um, for a bunch of the keywords um, that are in that industry, like online giving, um church management software, things like that.
0: Got it. so in the in the beginning, it was uh, display ads. and then when when you sold it, how much was from Amazon? Did you have any other affiliate yeah. deals? Sorry,
1: back to the original question. Um, so over the years I put packages together, so I kind of productized the the advertising be well, it was also super annoying to have a sponsor come in and only post or only, um, pay for like one ad and then one month and then be gone. So somewhere in there, quite a while ago, I kind of changed to um, three months. So in order to advertise, so as you had more demand and less supply, I made it a little more difficult and would raise prices. So I typically did like a three month basic banner ad um, was X amount. I think it was $900 or something like that. And it stayed that price for a long time, um, which was higher than what the CPM rate would have been, but it guaranteed a spot for them. Also, as you know, so many people um, will want to pay for one-off sponsored posts on sites that are getting lots of traffic, or pay for um, a backlink. So I I actually never sold a backlink um, by itself. I'm sort of morally opposed to that. Just on my own site, if I'm trying to buy them, like that does make sense. But for me, for my site, I wanted to make sure that um, I was only working with companies that I really like, believed in what they did. I looked at their software. I vetted them. So, um, so for a lot of years, I'd have. clients who would keep their banners in for years at a time. Um, so in essence, it sort of took the place of the consulting clients because they were paying, you know, $300 a month for a banner ad for like 18 months straight until their budget changed. Um, and then I put another package together where it would have three banner ads. Um, so there were um, like a leaderboard, a big square, and a small square. Um, and they would display on every page throughout the site. Um, I had tried over the years selling like individual pages or special, you know, some companies only want their link and their special banner, and they never worked as well as the banners that would run. I also limited the size um, or the number of sponsors. So, you know, I would have like six or eight sponsors at a time, Um, so those banners would be getting enough airtime on the site. Um, so I put those products, so not products, but packages together for them. And then the sponsored posts, um, those would get booked out, um, months and months in advance. Um, and so I, I also had to look at how many posts, like when I went down to two posts a week, I didn't want to have three sponsored posts a month. That's too much. So I would keep them to like two sponsored posts a month and I would strategically drop them in like every other week. I would make sure they had a sponsored tag on them. Um, and then. I mean, that's a whole nother ball of wax is like poorly written sponsored posts. So I had guidelines for the, for the, um, advertiser, like here's how to write a good sponsored post. Here's how many links I allow. Um, and often I would have to like rewrite or redo or, you know, change their posts pretty significantly, which is kind of a lot of work. It's kind of easier sometimes to write those posts for someone in your own style, which you know how to do versus, have someone who so often I'd ask, you know, have you written a sponsored post before? Could you point me to, um, or I go to their blog on their company website and say, Hey, this looks good. Could we use this? And we'll rewrite the intro. We'll do a new headline. We'll add new graphics, uh lipstick on a pig. Um, yeah. and so all of those things. So I, I, I mean, I didn't know any better because that's what I was used to doing was billing clients, working with the the marketing director, um, selling them on the package, talking about the audience. Um, most of them wanted that personal relationship. Like I was their ad manager. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I ran it. Like a magazine. Um, I think if I'd have done just Google ads, um, the revenue probably wouldn't have been there because it's such a small niche. If that makes sense.
0: Yep. That totally makes sense. And I kind of like my podcast advertising is a little bit similar, maybe not as much handholding, but it's, you know, a very specific audience and you spend a lot of time building trust with the audience. So like that relationship is significant and it's really hard to build. So that's probably, I mean, that makes sense to me. So, and I'm curious, looking back, so it sounded like there was a pretty high demand for the sponsored post. Is that accurate? Pretty mm-hmm. high man. Yeah. So would you have been able to raise the prices e- even more than whatever you were charging? It sounds like I maybe
1: probably, okay. I probably could have, I mean, I did it incrementally over the years. Like I would just raise it like 50, like maybe initially the banner was 200 and then it meant 250. And then it went to 300. And I think when I sold it, it was at 350 for just this one little 300 by 125 banner ad, but it, that banner spot traveled the whole site on every page. Um, and my kids are being loud in the kitchen and I'm so sorry. I just texted them to go upstairs. Um, so, um, so that banner would sell out pretty quick. Um, Um, and there was a shift there with the sponsored posts. Yeah. I don't know what the upper, upper ceiling of, of paying for sponsored posts would have been. I do know like most of the, most of the companies that I enjoyed working with the most, like they, they were not the big conglomerate or like the huge um, corporate structure, hundreds of employees, like this industry, it's like most of those companies were 300 employees or less. And I'm working directly with the marketing direct, kind of like a partner, Um, So I kind of took all the consulting work and kind of parlayed that into how I ran the site. Um, So very personal, very like hands-on, they could email me, they could, um, you know, if they needed extra data that the report, I think at the end, the ad uh, platform I was using, forgot the name of it, um, but it was, uh, um, I used OIO publisher. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's an ancient Um, WordPress plugin to run banner ads. And so, um, you know, you could set up reporting for that and give them the numbers. And sometimes the bigger companies, the numbers wouldn't be right where they wanted them to be, or they wanted more ROI on the actual like click through. We want to see this person click through and bought our product and it only cost $20 per click or per sale. And I just couldn't give them that super specific metric that they wanted.
0: Okay. That makes sense. And... I'm curious and we'll we'll jump back to some of the technical stuff. But when you started the site, you kind of didn't know what you were doing. You were like, oh, this sounds kind of cool. And then over the years, many years you had this site, you started leveling up and you were becoming more successful. Mm-hmm let's talk about imposter syndrome. When did it hit? Do you still have it? Did it make sense? How did you deal with it? I'm sure it came up because most people at some point when they are more successful, they're like, I shouldn't be here. Like, how am I able to earn this much from the website?
1: (laughs) That's funny. Um, uh, well, a tale from the other side would be, um, don't think that you're a luxury car person if you have never owned a luxury car. So that's a different story. (laughs) (laughs) and I say this because I bought a used Audi after the sale of the website went through because I've always wanted an Audi and I thought they were awesome and wonderful and it was a total money pit and (laughs) in just three months I sold the Audi at the same auto place I sold I bought it at and went back to Toyota so if you're a Toyota person like you like cars that just work. You like function over fancy. You like, um, the air conditioner to turn on. You like good gas mileage. I bought a hybrid. So now I'm like, I'm bragging about different things. No longer do I brag about the Bose system and the leather seats and the gigantic telescopic moonroof or whatever they call it. I brag about 38 miles to the gallon. So, so I, I didn't grow up on luxury cars. I don't, I don't, I don't think I need to own a luxury car to be happy. Honestly, I think the irritation of having to take it to the shop all the time is worse than having a car that runs and drives and gets me great gas mileage. So all that to say, like, um, I don't think that I felt like an imposter. I think One of the things that I maybe felt a little bit like an imposter was the audience I was writing for are mainly like pastors and worship leaders and people who work in and for the church. And so I've always been a volunteer. I'm a volunteer um, worship leader. Actually, now I'm actually getting paid for gigs to go to churches and sub for their musicians when they need someone. But for a long time, I just felt like, um, I was like a fake a little bit because I didn't have a ministry degree and I didn't, I had never held a job at a church. I only like belonged to a church and like volunteered, do stuff, which was like enough to write about it all. Um, and lots of pastor friends to like call up an interview. Like, um, when one, he, he was like so afraid to post on Facebook and I'm like, okay we're getting, to, I, I'm going to interview you. And I did this whole post on um, pastors and Facebook and used a ton of conversation from him to like get real, like, you know, um, so that was kind of cool. I, I love, like you love interviewing people. It comes through in the way you interview people. Um, I also love to interview people. And so where you might feel like you don't have the real life experience to write about or do whatever you're doing, that's where interviewing somebody is is awesome, and or even like shadow them for a day, and um, so I don't know if that exactly gets at the question, but
0: sure, that does make sense. It sounds like you didn't struggle with it too much overall, um, as far as like the traditional imposter syndrome, but it you you <sighs> sense something similar in uh, the way you explained it is, is perfect where you're like, ah, you know, I'm not like on the inside of a church as an employee, but that's the audience, but the skills that you bring to the table, you know, make it fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been in business for myself since um, 2002. That's when I moved out of the Bay area and started my PR work. And I mean, I have the usual like backlog of you know, pet sitting businesses and babysitting businesses and, you know, refinishing furniture and things like that, that a lot of people have, you know, like we tried all kinds of different things for something stuck. Um, So um, no, I mean, it really was satisfying to like go through the process. The um, sales process itself was pretty icky um, in the past uh, couple years at the end. I um, was very strategic after getting a lot of different advice and starting to follow you and other people about um, structures, getting myself out of the business, building templates, building style guides. Um, I use a software called CoSchedule, which I'm sure you've heard of. Um, it's, it's a fantastic like marketing calendar that's built around WordPress sites. So you can plug your site in and then you, tr- you schedule all of the social media and all the project management to the WordPress or whatever. There's other types of um, calendar items you can put in. Everything from you know email marketing to newsletters. They have they have all of that. But what it forced me to do, I got a virtual assistant um, maybe three years ago. Um, that was the first step of getting myself out of the business. So what I mean by that is, in normal brick and mortar businesses, um, it's really hard to sell a business if you as the owner are doing you know a full time jobs worth of work. You just really can't there because they've got to replace you when they take over the business. Now, if you came at this from, you know, the web entrepreneur SEO kind of side, like you guys are probably like, well, yeah, duh, like you build this. So it's passive, but I didn't come to it like that. So I had a lot of me in the business. Um, So I got the virtual assistant. And then um, I think before that I had a web developer, part-time web developer um, who would do all the technical stuff for me. Um and he would actually even make videos to kind of teach me how to do it, um, which is great. And they were like in my WordPress, so I could just drop down and watch the videos right in there. Um and so between the steps of having having a WordPress person and then having a virtual assistant, which side note, if you want to get organized. Hiring and paying good money for a virtual assistant will force you to get organized because you don't want to waste that money. And they're like 10 times faster at doing administrative stuff as you and I are. They're like wizards or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so the things that, you know, I would have them um, upload the content um, to WordPress. And I had a whole um, checklist built on uh, how to structure the WordPress posts and what, you know, what heading goes here and, um, check the language here and grammarly and all of these different things. So she would go through and do a lot of that, um, backend work that nobody sees. Um, and then the step two or step three was I hired an editor, um, or site operator, if you want to call it that, she really didn't operate the site, but she did, um, uh, uh, write two or three articles a month, and then she oversaw all of the guest posts. I had an arsenal of guest writers that were all industry experts in this field. So, um, and I was paying actually pretty good, you know, American wages for writers um, because I could, and that was important to me to pay them. Um, yeah. Okay. So, got it. so I, I put a lot of things in place to be able to exit.
0: Perfect. And that That does take time to, And like you said, you have to train people on boredom may not be a perfect match every time. So you have to maybe find the right person.
1: Oh yeah. I went through two editors, um, before, and then I went back to doing it myself for maybe a year or two and then, and then got a winner with the last, um, editor and, and she and I hopefully will get to work together again because she's great.
0: Just wanna give you a quick heads up that my course multi-profit site is open for enrollment. That is, if you're listening to this around the week of April 18th through the 22nd of 2022. The course does open up occasionally throughout the year, but it happens to be open right now, so I wanna give you a heads up. There's a link in the description, the show notes here, so you can check it out if you want to. Basically, it's a framework and a system that takes you from start to finish of you know choosing an edge, doing keyword research, publishing content, setting up your site, and getting things rolling, earning from a variety, multiple profit sources. So multi-profit site is the name of the course, and you could check it out if you're interested. And if you're, you're catching this sometime in the, f- in the future, hopefully, I don't think you can get it in the past, but if you're listening to this in the future, then you might be able to sign up for the email list. Just make sure you're on the email list and you'll be good to go. Let's get back to the show and hear a little bit more from Lauren. With the content, did you write most of the content up until a certain point and then you brought on some writers? Is that right?
1: Yeah. um, I wrote probably 60 to 70% of the content. Um, And then, like I said, I'd have guest posts. So in the early days, I didn't charge for the guests. It was a guest post, not a sponsored post. Um, And I just do a trade, the link in the bio for um, the content which I still would do that. If I had somebody come to me, they just couldn't have a business. If they had a money-making business, then they needed to pay for a sponsored post. But if they were like, um, I don't know if this was not their day job and they were trying, they have cause or nonprofit or something then I would let them write it, take their post and not, we wouldn't exchange money. We would just do a trade. Um, So, and then I, I had um, probably about, three or four like key writers who, um, I call them my pinch hitters. Like they were just awesome and they were niche. So, you know, one was anything to do with apps or uh, Bible study apps or software. And he would do these gigantic reviews with videos. And, um, so I did start a YouTube channel and I put the videos up there and then throw the videos into the post. Um, and then I started asking writers to like several of them could make videos Um, and I did that for a while. It's a lot of work to ask a writer. Even I was paying like $200 a post, but to, to, for software, if they're doing a full software review and they have to make a video and they have to upload it all, like it's kind of a lot of work. So I had a few that would do that and then they needed a break for a while. And then I would ask them again, like, okay, can I come back in three, three months? When can you do another post? You know, um, but that, that is one thing I will say that I miss, um, it it's been a year since I sold the site is I really loved working with these industry people. They were all guys too. All my guys, um, these awesome guys who had just such depth of knowledge in the industry. And so I didn't try to do all that myself just as the site owner. I really leaned on them to um, share their expertise in a way that was, um, you know, blessing to other people. And when I left, you know, I made sure to, or when I sold it, I made sure to like email everyone and like thank them again. And, um, it just really was wonderful to be able cause you know, it gets lonely, right? I mean, you like doing these interviews probably cause you get to talk to people yep. of different backgrounds. And so that's, that's the thing people don't talk about is when you are doing a work at home, totally online job, it, it kind of does get lonely. So when you can build in those ways to like bring community into your venture, like that's, Cool. Like my my son, actually, I didn't mention my graphic designer, my um, now 19-year-old uh, computer science and engineering student at uh, UNR. He is, has been my graphic designer for the last two years, so 16 um, uh, until now, and awesome. he's making graphics for um, my current sites now. So whoever you pick to work with, you know, you do build a community through your work, mm-hmm. and that's super valuable.
0: So let's shift a little bit. Oh, actually, before we move on, how many articles were on the site when you sold it?
1: Um, 1100, I okay. want to say I did. Um, so I, I um, ate a smaller fish uh, a few years ago. Um, I bought a site at the time it was called Christian Media Magazine. And I'd had a relationship with one of the two owners and they kept calling me to sell their advertising for them. Um, because once One of the two owners owned a different site. And while I was getting Church Tech Today off the ground, he called and asked if I would sell advertising for his email list, which he had like a 30,000-person email list. And I could sell those emails for 2,500 or 3,000 per send. And he gave me 30%. Wow. So that was super sweet. Um, And I could just, you know, bada-bing with my contacts, sell this pretty quick. Well, so they got the idea, like, maybe I could sell for this other site. And by that time, Church Tech Today was was a rocket ship and I couldn't, um, I didn't have the bandwidth. Plus it was a conflict of interest. But I said, hey guys, if you ever get done with this site, give me a call. Maybe I'll buy it from you. So that's what happened. They gave me a call. They were like, oh, we haven't really done anything with it. Do you want to buy it? So when I bought that site, um, it had kind of been dilapidated a little bit and the content wasn't quite up to the standards that I was trying to aim for. And so um, you know, it was like 400 posts over eight or 10 years. Um, so that, that's a whole different conversation, like the strategy when you take over a site that's in your niche, that's sort of similar, um, like what do you do? And there's a lot of different ways to handle it. Um, I leaned on my web developer to, to help me and we, um, we made it work. But initially, I thought I was going to sell ads for both and keep both sites separate. And it just, it was too close like the niche was too small to keep two sites. Um, And I tried taking it a different angle. It still didn't work. And so I folded it up into Church Tech Today. I created a new category for media, Just Media. And we had a bunch of like kind of, Christian movie reviews or like reviews of Christian movies, maybe it'd be better say, and like listicles of movies, like for father's day and mother's day. And I had a writer that came with that site that wrote those at the end of the day. I don't think it brought that much more, but I was happy. I did get my, i only paid $10,000 for that site, which I probably maybe slightly overpaid for, but it came with a big old email list, that 30,000 email list that I had been selling before it came with that list. Um, and so I made it all back. I just, just long-term didn't, um, I don't know how much it helped me if if that's fair. Yeah.
0: And it's great how you sort of, well, you tried some stuff. It didn't, it didn't work exactly how you thought And you pivoted to, you know, the best solution or at least something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think Mishfeek was talking about quitting stuff. I listened to a conversation of his where he was talking about quitting stuff and I'm like, but well, he quit stuff sooner than probably the average person would quit. But, um, you know, if, you, if you're trying something, give it a timeline. That's a good way. It's almost like dating someone you're not sure you should stay with. It's like, okay, three months? Okay, then we're going to reevaluate. You know, give yourself a timeline. Like, okay, I'm going to try this out for six weeks. And then I'm going to look at the results and measure the page views, measure whatever you can measure, and then make an informed decision because your time and effort is worth a lot. So if you're doing something... Out of the goodness of your heart to see if it's going to reap a reward, but it kind of doesn't. You know, it's like, should I spend time with my kids or should I keep writing articles on this site that's not getting more traffic? Like, I I don't know. Right. Maybe you should quit it. Maybe you should sell it.
0: So let's shift a little bit to the SEO side and the traffic sources. So I think that's a good place to start traffic sources. Was it mostly SEO from Google organic? Did you have some other pieces of the puzzle here?
1: Yeah. So I, I learned, I didn't, I didn't really have a pulse on this, but, um, I learned that it was really good to have so much organic traffic without any paid advertising. So I never did any Google, uh, AdWords. Um, you know, I get the emails and just delete them, uh, free 500 they're giving away 500 dollars now for google adwords but i think inflation's caused the price to go up so i'm not sure it's worth all that much but um yeah it was just all organic and um i mean a lot of what i did was just it made sense like it makes sense to link to your um competitor information sites if they have a better article than you like I was just doing what's best for the reader. Um, and I also didn't want, you know, all the paywall, all the news organizations, even now it's so frustrating to like, you go to Google news and every article you click on takes you to a paywall site, like New York times, like wall street journal, like Economist. what you read three paragraphs and you have to go pay for it. I'm like, you're killing me people. Like, shouldn't the content be free? Aren't there enough advertisers out there to pay the bills? Like, me paying a dollar a month can't make that big of a difference. Um, So I'm really like kind of opposed to the whole paywall content. Um, I think it just discourages people from being informed. So um, for me, I always wanted the content to be free to whoever wanted to, to access the content. And I wanted the advertisers to pay um, to keep the site going. Um, And I didn't ever want to do like Patreon or anything like that. Um, And now I'm forgetting the original question. That's Okay.
0: (laughs) So uh, (laughs) we've
1: been talking a while
0: (laughs) traffic sources, traffic,
1: traffic sources. Yeah. Um, so, um, social media. So initially it was Twitter. Um, then it was Twitter and Facebook. Then it was Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest. And it was Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, LinkedIn, Instagram, Instagram doesn't do much for traffic as we all know. It's like, thanks for creating a social media network that is not friendly to um, links, um, which I know they're doing things to drop that now, but whatever. Um, Pinterest, Pinterest was like the third traffic source, which was always surprising. Um, But as we know now, it's like not even, I mean, I guess it's social media, but it's really like a search engine. Um, I just watched the Pinterest um, for advertisers, like a big webinar um, which was so cool. So different than any um, webinar I've been to. It was like, it was like a dramatic event. Um, but I learned a lot about Pinterest and that's on my 2022 goal uh, list. Cause I just bought a site that is like personal finance for women. And so um, she grew the audience through Pinterest mainly. And um, I'm going to kind of keep that going and, and test that out. So yeah, organic traffic was was big, somewhere above 80%. Um, And what else? Uh, The time on the site was, you know, fluctuate two minutes, 30 seconds. I think it was that for a long time. And then it would drop down a little bit and then it would go back up.
0: Okay. Bounce
1: rate. I was always struggling with the bounce rate, like wanting it to be better, not knowing how to get it better.
0: Right. Um, That's a tough one. People
1: have short attention spans. That's what I came to realize.
0: (laughs) So, and just to quickly summarize, so about 80% organic traffic and then a spread between like Facebook and Twitter and maybe Pinterest for the rest yeah. of the yeah. 20%. Okay, great. And then, and then
1: referrals. There were a few, a few sites that had uh, links back to us that I didn't even initiate. They just linked to us. So as your site gets bigger and like more known in an industry, you'll find that people naturally start linking to your stuff. And so that's also pretty cool. Like, you don't have to do it all yourself. Like, it takes on a life of its own. Um, or at least that's what I found out.
0: Right. Makes sense. So, let's see here. We talked about <laughs> SEO a little bit, but we didn't talk about keywords yet. And I'm sure yeah. in the early years, I bet there were hardly any tools for you to use, and you weren't even thinking, about keywords at all. So when did you start thinking about keywords and then what was your approach?
1: Yeah, I think because of my, um, PR background. So I don't know, maybe, maybe my brain just works that way, but I was trying, always trying, even then, like we're talking, writing a press release in Microsoft word. The goal is to get the most valuable and the most important words into the headline or the title, because um, you know, at the time, like uh, all the news agencies, you put your put your release over like PR Newswire or Business Wire, and so a lot of reporters they're scanning the headlines. So, um, you know, that's that's where I brought it from. Was like, what are the most valuable, most important keywords that are going to um, get across the most clear message, the most efficiently? And these are the words you're going to put in a press release title. So that carried over for me just in that like native training. Um, into blog posts because in the title, it's the same thing. Although it's, you know, Google bots that are searching for that information instead of a human. Um, So I would always try to get, um, uh, you know, if you're talking about giving, like online giving is the best set of the best keywords for online giving. Now there's a bunch of rearranged substitutes like church giving, um, digital giving, app giving, Giving on an app, you know, there's all those different configurations, but the top, the top search keyword was always online giving. So um, all the different articles over the years, we would try to um, I boiled them down. I had more categories at one time, but four, you know, we'd have four main categories and then a few subs in each category. So really like every article, if it was about that topic, if it's about mobile, something with mobile, it always has to have mobile in the title somewhere is it a mobile app? Is it a mobile game? Is it a mobile device? Um, so it's just really using like, I guess, organizational strategy for me anyway, it just made sense. Um, and what would happen is like the accidental, (laughs) accidental SEO, you know, it's like, Oh, oh, it's ranking for that. Oh, and I do a little search. I'm like, oh, it's at number three. Like, how did I do that? You know? And so, so it's just funny because now there's all these like AI content engines and like all of these SEO tools. And I didn't use any of that stuff. Um, when all the SEO kind of, I don't remember what year it was a while ago. Um, remember where like you were generating content or or you get this, um, you know, you should have eight to ten uses of your keyword phrase throughout the article, and it was like a robot wrote it. You know, and I okay. was like, no, that is ridiculous. Like, no, don't need to use that. Um, but I did, um, I did use Yoast SEO on on our site, um, and that's what my web developer put on, um, and then. Um, you know, but it was pretty primitive back then. It didn't have a lot of bells and whistles. Um, and now I have pledged my allegiance to rank math. I love rank math. I, um, I use it on every post. This site that I just purchased, which I used this podcast recording as my deadline to go through all of the content. So as of today, <laughs> I purchased, I got the keys like Sunday and went through all the content, put rank math on there all the keywords, all the tweaks and the better images. And, um, there's some issues with the URLs cause they shortened a few URLs, but, um, you know, there's so many tools now that kind of take the, take the intelligence out of it, so to speak. But I just, I guess for your listeners or watchers, you know, like trust your gut on this, you know, if you're writing about something that you know, or that you have enough invested in, like you're going to know what the best keyword is, um, and, and stick with that. And if it works, then do it again, five different ways, different kinds of article, different kinds of content. And don't just say it in a different way. You've got to provide value in your content. It can't be garbage. Um, so I'm really morally opposed to like garbage content. Can you yeah, tell?
0: a little? <laughs> well, it makes sense as a, you know, an English major and, you know, writings at your core. So it does make sense that, you yeah. would not want to see garbage content out there. <laughs> so, a couple things. One, um, you don't have to answer this now, but maybe towards the end of the interview, which we are coming towards the end here, we could talk for many more hours and maybe we'll bring you back for round two because we're barely yeah. scratching the surface, I feel. But yeah. what would the headline be? What well, would you recommend for? this interview, this episode. So you can think about it. If you know it by the time we stop recording, you'll let me know. If not,
1: email me. Are you it to asking me. me to do your work for you? Is that, that what you're asking me it's to do? literally,
0: <laughs> yes. I was like, she'll do a better job than that's I That's
1: hilarious. That's so, awesome.
0: So think about it. If you don't know it by the end, okay. that's okay. But okay. it's due in like a week. So just... <laughs> You have a deadline. Okay,
1: professor.
0: I'm going to put it on my schedule. So we're going to shift gears uh, kind of in a big, big way here. So, you know, you and I were chatting before we started recording, and I, I don't think anyone would be surprised if we said there's a lot of males in the sort of internet marketing space, especially like people like me that create content. And there's not as many women. I do try to interview... Um, women and just uh, diverse backgrounds. It doesn't matter matter to me. I just want to bring good stories out, but um, what has it been like working in such an industry? Do you have any observations or anything you want to share? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, it's an interesting question. Um, a couple things. So one, um, churches tend to be male heavy. Um, so it was interesting. Then Technology. So I worked in technology, high technology. That was sort of male dominated, except for all of us PR chicks, you know, like the PR world is a lot of women. Um, so it was kind of, it was kind of interesting. Um, so I kind of went from like one to two to three different kind of in- industries that are all kind of male dominated. So like the ministry industries, male dominated, and then um, technology before, you know, at companies I was at. Um I mean, even just in marketing directors for a lot of the companies that I was selling advertising to, like, were 95% male. Um, so, I don't know if that's across the board or if that's just particular industries. I'm not sure. Um, this industry, I mean, it doesn't bother me. I love guys. Like, uh, we could talk about anything. We could talk about it all day. You're not going to take stuff super personally. I'm married. I have two sons. I I... I love, I love you guys, you know, so I don't, I don't really have any complaints. I just, um, I guess I just want to empower or say things or do things that empower women to know, like not to be afraid. Like I had, I paid a web developer only a few hundred dollars a month, like along the way. And he you know, would just give me what I needed at the moment when I wanted to understand how to do things. And, um, and that was great. And I learned, and there's nothing like an opportunity where, um, you are motivated to learn something new, um, to force you to learn something new. I mean, nobody goes out and like says, Oh, I want to learn how to floss my teeth better. But if your dentist tells you like you have gingivitis and it's going downhill, you really need to floss. You need to do a better job at it. Like, what do you do? you you floss better because you want to keep your teeth. So it's about motivation. So, I mean, for me, um, I think I mentioned before, I have four kids. Uh, That is hard. That is really crazy and difficult, especially when they're all little. Um, So I did this, um, you know, started the site when I had, I have to think real quick, zero. Bradley was born and I had a two and a half year old daughter and a four year old son and that's when I started this. Um, and so, you know, I grew this from when they were little and now he's six, one, that 14 year old is six <laughs> one <laughs> in the next room using the toaster oven. This is real y'all. Um, so, uh, I don't know. The encouragement is like whatever you want to call it, like crafting your life. Um, you know, I wanted to be home with my kids, but I didn't want to be home with my kids, right? I want to use my brain. I want to be professional. I want to use the tools that we have to use. I want to make money to bring in for my family. My husband's a teacher. So raising four kids in Northern California with just a teacher salary is like not possible. Um, And so, you know, at the end when I sold the site, I had the system and the people and I had it dialed into where I was really only working like five hours or less. And really I'm answering emails, which I'm answering my VA when she has questions about stuff and occasionally selling ad space, um, which I kind of did batch style, like every every three months, sell heavy for a week and then book everybody. And then just you're doing follow-up. So So the whole like crafting your lifestyle, like that is super, super reality. Like that's a reality for me. And I'm doing it again now with some other sites. Plus I published some books um, and do speaking. And I'm hoping to coach um, other moms like me who need, you know, like 10 years younger, 15 years younger. And they're wondering like, how do I give my family everything I want to give them and use my brain and make money for my family? And this is an awesome industry and way to do that on any topic, pick a topic, any topic you're interested in. There's a, there's a niche for it.
0: And this is a good point to talk about some of the things that you're starting to work on. So you, you mentioned a couple of times you have other sites, maybe you bought one, you don't have to go too yep. in depth, but what is the so sure. next 12 months look like? How many sites do you have? Are you onboarding some? What's what's happening? Yep.
1: Yep. Um, so the last year I was kind of gracious and trying to be nice to myself. I'm sort of one of those people who has like the inner taskmaster who's always like cracking the whip. And, um, so, so, uh, working on, um, intentionally taking rest and I did that for a bit and then I got stressed out here. I have a pile of money in the bank and I'm getting stressed out that I'm not bringing in money because, I'm like wired to be making money, you know, to be earning from my efforts. So I've had a kind of a bumpy last year of of that, but um, I'm also like, I have so many ideas and I am never going to have enough time. Like, please call me and take one of my ideas. Cause they're little babies that need to be like grown into children, but I don't have time to do all of them. Um, so I always tell my friends, like, do you need an idea for a business? Cause I have a whole folder, an Evernote folder full of them. If you would like an idea, come pick. Um, so anyway, uh, over the years I, um, ha- I have, I, I write outside of this market, um, you know, on all different topics like ministry and, uh, motherhood and faith and growth. And, you know, I'm a perpetual nonfiction, um, business book junkie. So I've done book reviews and things like that. So, um, I have a spreadsheet with niche content, uh, sites that I, um, wanted to start or, you know, pick from a hat, which site am I going to start? But I did, I did start, um, hspjourney.com, um, I don't know how many months ago, six months ago, maybe it's, um, so that one is highly sensitive person, which is a trait that was discovered by a psychologist, Elaine Aaron in the nineties. I think her book was published in the nineties, highly sensitive person. Um, and so I didn't discover that until like five years ago. And when I read her book, I was like, this is crazy this is so me um and there's kind of like a movement of that kind of in the wellness psychology space so I really thought um okay this this would be really great there's another niche site that's like totally rocking it highly sensitive refuge and they're like I bow down they're doing awesome um but I really felt like I had my own things to say so started a site there and it's it's now getting traffic and it's um it's listed. I mean, traffic, like, you know, peanut traffic, but it's not out of the sandbox for sure. Um, okay. and then I just bought another site. Um, my target cute dog. Okay. Kind.
0: It's a border collie. Yeah. She woke ah. up from a nap here. So,
1: Oh, <laughs> I have a, I have your dog's cousin, an Australian shepherd. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, so I, I bought another site that, um, I actually got outbid on like three or four other sites that I really wanted. And then this one popped up. I really wanted one in the personal finance, kind of for women, but doesn't have to be all for women. Um, And this site popped up. A woman had started it um, eight years ago and just, it's just sitting there. It's sitting there. She did all this Pinterest work. So it's got, I don't know, four or 5,000 page views a month to old content that was, you know, eh, so, so. Um, and I was like, this is perfect. It's, um, uh, earn it, save it.com. snappy. I like the URL. I rebranded it, made a new logo, updated all the content, updated the website. I did it all probably in 15 hours, maybe 20 hours, um, you know, over a course of a bunch of days. So I kind of have niches where I know that I want to have a site. Like I'm looking at one that might be a recipe, um, or food niche, I kind of have like buckets where I'm personally interested. I just have to be careful because if I get too personally attached, it's going to be hard to sell. Um, like the HSP site might be too hard, but I I have to like use my life experience in these posts. So I just have it in the back of my mind. Okay, if I do sell this site at some point, I'm just going to let those articles go with it. It's just going to be what happens. It's just going to go, or I may keep it. I don't know. Right. Okay. And I have I have a couple. I have, I have a couple others that are in half stages, not ready to be sent traffic to yet. But okay. as soon as I get time, I'm gonna build those out. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. And I think um, you know, maybe we'll we'll talk afterwards, but the business idea that could be a good episode if you'll join me back again and we could just yeah, you know, like I'd you love said, to you don't have time to do everything, and you could donate a business idea, which it's an idea that I, I got from the Tropical MBA podcast. So shout out to those cool. guys there. Oh, that's and awesome. So I think we covered uh, most of everything that we we needed to today. Do you have anything else to add before I, I let people know where they can find you? So yeah, any f- closing thoughts, any other broad yeah. tips? You, you gave so many. Totally. So.
1: Um, so like, I, I have a tagline that I use on my author website, and um, it's Journey Together. Um, so I, you know, everything always seems to come back to a journey. So it's like, what's your, what's your business journey? What's your entrepreneurial journey? What's your website journey? Like I I'm sort of adverse to just doing stuff to make money. And so the, the things that turn me off personally are ventures where you're just trying to make a quick buck and it doesn't matter. So like everything that I do and that's part of like how I'm wired, I like to do stuff that matters. So, um, journey that I'm on, like, it's cool that we're intersecting here because there's a bigger story, you know, there's a story in what you're doing and how you came to this business. And now you're turning around and helping people, which is awesome. So that's impacted me and I get to now turn around and I want to help other women, um, figure out what their journey looks like and achieve their goals. Um, so I just love that concept that we're like all in this together, you know, and I like peace I like harmony. Um, so let's hold hands and think kumbaya and like help each other. Um, and that, you know, what's really cool. I do have to say this too. In this niche website community, um, I love it when like you and Mishfik do the podcast together or you, you go on his show, he comes on your show. I love that because it's like we're on the same team. Like we're all on the same team together and we're championing one another and everybody, we want everybody to be successful. I don't want to have enemies. So let's all say nice things and be loving toward one another. I, I just love it. So thank you.
0: This beautiful. I get Lauren, off my
1: soapbox now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Where can people find you?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm at laurenhunter.net L a u r e n h u n t e r dot net, and on all the social media places um, like LinkedIn is a great one if you're listening and you want to connect with me. If you're if you're a woman listening and you're at the beginning of this website thing that you started, like please reach out to me. Um, I think I use my middle initial H on LinkedIn, so it's like Lauren H Hunter. Um, But please do send me a message. I'll totally uh, add you to my network and LinkedIn and we can start a conversation. I'd love to encourage you.
0: That's wonderful. And I will put a link so people can get to all your stuff out there. So thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot to Lauren. Really appreciate her taking the time and sharing her story. She has an interesting, you know, path to get to, you know, creating and selling websites and now diving in and doing a little bit more. And well, she learned a lot along the way. So I'm I'm hoping I can get her back on to share some of her other ideas and that sort of thing. So we'll see how it goes. And don't forget if you are interested in multi-profit site, it is open for enrollment. If you're not on the email list, you should hop on there at snitchsiteproject.com. Click the green button, enter your name and email, and you'll be good to go. And I've been doing a much better job telling people about uh, Mile High Five. It's the other podcast I have about personal finance and financial independence. So certainly check it out if you are interested in either one of those topics my friend Carl and I just sit down in the basement here and well, we we talk about whatever we want. Sometimes it is extremely related to financial independence and retiring early. Other times it's just things we wanna talk about, questions that we have for each other, and then we'll do a little episode about it. So anyway, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, especially if you wanna hear more from Lauren in the future. And, uh, you know, check out her site. She, she mentioned that she uh, is open to connecting with people. So certainly connect with her if you are interested and want to uh, learn a little bit more. So I think that's it for today. Everybody have a great day and we'll catch you on the next episode.